The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Now that's a nice pour. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers, sitting across from a couple of my best friends, of course, Brian Casey and Bart Hansen, and a couple of new friends, Mike and Steve San Giacomo. Welcome, guys. Yeah, great to be here. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for for having us. Believe me, it's a pleasure. No, no, this is an honor. This is a. this is a big deal for us. I mean, the, the San Giacomo family, the history um, in this valley and the, the just let me just say that on the way in, I'm looking at all the bottles of wine on the uh, shelves over there and that that you have sold fruit to those wineries. And I think 90 percent of them, I've had those wines um, and love those wines. Um, so this is a big deal for me and what a beautiful spot. I've never been here before. Oh, the um, new, yeah, the new place is absolutely uh, spectacular. Beautiful it's new tasting room. What a time of year to be sitting here looking out on vineyards. I mean, it's just beautiful. So yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, the, the perspective of here is amazing because it's literally just a sea of vines and then with the tree lines in the back and um, there's a lot of grape bins out there. I'll say that much. Yeah, there um, are. <laughs> how many grape bins do you guys own? We have about uh, 1,200 macro bins. 1,200 macro bins. Okay. But they look a lot better when they're full. So we're just, that's what we're, we're <laughs> right, waiting for. Right, exactly. Yeah, right now when they're empty, it doesn't, we're just anxious. Now, anxious. now you guys have started picking, uh, right, as of last Tuesday? Yeah, the, big, the big ringing the of the big bell. Ringing of the, the bell. ringing of the bell. I've already yeah, forgotten what day I'm it was. Already t- I'm tired of ringing that bell, I can tell <laughs> you. You made that. the front page of the Sonoma paper, a, what, you picked two tons starting at 3 a.m. of Pinot for sparkling? Yeah, it, it was, I think, Great uh, usually, usually we're not the first, but uh, this year I think they did, the Sonoma Valley Vintners and Growers are doing the honorary you know, bell uh, ringing ceremony, and our dad was selected as the honorary bell ring, ringer, so I think it was serendipitous that we... By Mother Nature, we became the first of that because they, they did a big celebration, which was fun. It was a great opportunity to get the community uh, together and evolve a lot. So have you picked since then? or Yeah, we it? picked a couple times since then. Okay. Yeah, no, sparkling, <laughs> sparkling for Pinot Noir is going full bore right now, so across the whole Sonoma and Napa. So it's, but, you know, it's trending to be, and we're not late in terms of maturity, but, um, you know, we're kind of more in that normal 10-year cycle. But I think the last three years have been so early everyone's like oh my god this is late this is late but actually it's just kind of well yeah you mentioned october to me and i thought well that sounds late yeah i mean we're looking to probably pick our peak will be at the end of september and october so that's kind of but that's normal we just i mean we picked a lot of chardonnays you know comes in after pinot noir like mike and i said we picked a lot of chardonnay in october and it's just the normal we don't like it because it's just longer for the fruit to hang out we like from a quality standpoint it's good but from a grower standpoint, with you know susceptibility to those you know October storms coming in, which they will come, it's just a matter of time. So right, I mean, it, it is interesting. People think of Chardonnay as being an early variety um, because it's a white variety, and in fact, it's really not. It it can it can be out there. I, I remember at Benziger, we used to get stuff 
well into October, even towards the end of October at times, right? Yeah, you, there's certain years where you're not even really getting going until October. I mean, that's on the later side, but yeah, no, absolutely. October is a very busy month for Chardonnay. Well, can we get into it? Everyone out there, I'm sure, that's listening to the show, you know the San Giacomo family. You've, you've seen that name on labels of uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and, and uh, also Pinot Gris. I know we're pouring the Ancien at, uh, at Sante at uh, the Sonoma Mission Inn. Um, but you guys have, have not always made wine, and that's a somewhat recent decision. So I guess what took so long um, for you to start making your own wine? That's yeah, a it's a good question. I guess uh, must have been a drunken tequila night. I think we woke up saying, Let's, "I think we're gonna make wine." So, no, I think that it was just more the natural evolution of just growing wine grapes for so long, and just um, you know, our, just our vineyards are, you know, for a lot of reasons, vineyards are producing the best wines they ever have. We have just a um, next generation coming along, and it's you know, we just sensed the time was right, and it just um, we knew long term. We built this. You know, building here that you guys alluded to. This, you know, it's an admin slash, you know, kind of a tasting lounge in the back here that was was part of the design. So it was, you know, conceptually we've been thinking about it for the last three or four years, and we said 2016, let's do it. So we put, um, you know, a, a, we have three skews of Chardonnay and three um, blends of Pinot Noir, and then we do have a Cabernet as well. So uh, we're excited, and we had our spring release. It just uh, happened in March and April, and. Just, you know, we're, we're figuring out how hard it is to sell wine, as all our clients told us for so many years. <laughs> that's, so it's, that's actually interesting. You know, you've been selling grapes all these years, but not wine. It's really uh, not branded. You know? And we're all, I mean, this is going to be a small component to what we do. I mean, this, the wine, as in, and it's funny because of the 70 wineries we've sold to, I think one was the only concern. What, what about my fruit? They all realize that there's there's plenty to go around for everybody. That's what I was going to ask is now are, are all these um, winemakers saying, oh, wait a minute, now they're going to slowly start taking over all the vineyards for themselves and, and we're not going to get access to the fruit. But that's not in the in the cards. No, we're going to be, we made it very clear to them that the, the blocks and fruits and rows that they get are always going to be theirs. The fruit that we're taking is fruit that was uncommitted fruit. And, um, you know, it's in some of those same blocks, if it rows. But, no, we're, we're very cognizant of uh, making sure that everybody feels comfortable in their fruit supply going forward. Yeah. And what's, what do you think is, uh, well, what's total production for you at this point? Uh, so uh, for 16 was 400 cases of Pinot Noir, 300 of Chardonnay, and then 100 of Cabernet. So... Those, and that's in 17 is actually just about to go to we bottled our uh, couple skews our Sonoma Coast uh, 17 Pinot Noir and a Sonoma Coast uh, 17 uh, Chardonnay and that's just 10% growth so we're just going to keep it super small and just kind of um, you know again putting the best the best of the best in the bottle and that's number most important for us and a matter of perspective how many tons of grapes total will you guys hopefully get this year Oh, for um, well, for all of San Jacinto. All of the San Jacinto. Yeah, I mean, I think um, got the math. What, probably twenty tons. No, like no, that. no. I'm sorry. How? Not not your winery. How many tons will will San Jacinto oh, vineyards will harvest yes. this year? Yes, I mean, so uh, probably about five thousand. Five thousand tons. Five thousand tons. And so we're twenty or five twenty. Yeah, we're That's taking twenty. A lot of grapes. Yeah. Off so of, there's there's plenty, of 1600 plenty of acres. quality fruit. There's yeah. plenty of quality fruit for all those growers. And so then that's the yeah, and we're also every year replanting our vineyards. I mean, with the 1600 acres, I mean we're on a cycle of 
you know, five to eight percent a year. And just so we're every year we're planting new stuff that's coming in in you know four or five years. So it's it's exciting. Steve, do you see that much drop off that you have to replant five to eight percent a year? You know, that's a good question. I mean, we at least in the last um, we had a, a you know '90s, early '90s was kind of a big planting uh, boom for us, and so I think those. That's probably been in the last, what, eight years we've done that. I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's just that we don't, that'll kind of trickle off to maybe 3%. But um, it, that's been the trend. I think um, I, I think it will slow down because we're slowly getting through those kind of, uh, you know, early 90s plantings. So can we back up a little bit now and talk about um, how did the San Giacomo family first come to Sonoma Valley? If we can start, go way back. Can one of you guys want to tackle that? Sure. Originally in the 1927 is when our, our grandfather um, was uh, found at bought, bought the original home ranch. He had been coming up here. Uh, he discovered Sonoma because um, he immigrated from Italy and, and in, through, it, through Ellis Island to San Francisco. Uh, and he really loved the mineral baths. The Europeans really loved the mineral baths. So he used to come up to Sonoma when they had the Boys Hot Springs uh, every other weekend. Um, and he obviously actually made friends up here and then there's people from the city that had bought property up here so he drove by this ranch for years before he actually purchased it and uh, when it became available uh, he knew the neighbor was an, another Italian friend of his and um, they kind of fell in love with it and and what what did your grandfather do for a living before this um, he was uh, well he did a couple of things when he came over originally uh, from Ellis Island and he went into Alameda he worked in the vegetable gardens as a laborer uh, and then he moved to San Francisco, and then he was a garbage collector. And so uh, they basically, at that time, without making a, making a long story short, uh, they all the independent guys got together and formed a company. So he had a share. He was an owner-operator in a garbage company. And then uh, he, I think, always had farming in his heart. He um, he farmed a little bit when he was uh, younger in Italy. He was a shepherd. You know, his family farmed him out a little bit. <laughs> Uh, did labor and, and uh, I think it was always in his heart. And so when he got an opportunity, I think he he took it. That's that's really cool. So and then, what do you? I mean, you probably know all this history, but what was the land being used for at the time when he purchased it, or was it was it already planted in trees? It was. It was mostly a pear, had a fruit orchards is what it was. There was pears, apples, prunes, and cherries. Um, I think the, there was even some peaches. We had some history. There was peaches on the ranches years ago, but I think the peaches were gone when he got it. But uh, this was um, a noted uh, fruit, or I should say noted, noted ranch for uh, orchards at, uh, at the time of his purchase. Yeah, it was clearly a, a passion thing because, I mean, as Mike alluded, he was an Italian farm. He farmed in Italy, right? right. So... But he came over here, and he, he did actually do some farming in Alameda in the vegetable gardens, and then that's when his friends started this garbage company. But he left a, a, a thriving garbage business right, right. to become a farmer <laughs> right. here in the in Sonoma Valley, right. which is, you know... It's, it was a good move it, for him. It, it was. He, it, <laughs> yes. I mean, he, he, he loved it. I mean, this is something that um, kind of was his passion and kind of in his DNA, because to be right. a farmer, it's got to be in your DNA. A absolutely. Right. And we'll get to that with you guys a little bit later. But um, so then when did pear block and apple block get changed from pears and apples to grapes? Early 80s. Uh, the first was uh, apples was the last was the last <laughs> apple block in uh, 1980. And then um, it, the last pear block we had was obviously called pear. And that was in 1987. So, uh, and I tell the story uh, or I ask you the question that way because at Benziger we got both of those blocks 
And when I first started, no one ever, you know, explained that they were planted that way. It was they were called Apple Block because it reminded everybody of apples and pears because it reminded them of pears, you know. And um, the tour guides would always spin that off into you can still taste the apples and the pears and the grapes and, um, you know. Just so you guys still have. Humorous. Um, there might be some truth to that still. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> 15 different vineyards and four different AVAs, right? Or has it increased? Yeah, that's that? exactly four different within the, um, you know, Sonoma. Carneros has was, has been kind of in the Sonoma Valley. That's where we started. Mm-hmm. And so then we branched off to, in the 90s, we went over to Pelham Gap. It wasn't called then there, but in Lakeville Highway, we planted a, a vineyard over there. And um, and then we planted one in Katati, our pen grove in, t- in early 2000s. Where is that vineyard exactly? It's a Roberts Road vineyard right off of uh, Roberts Road. And then next to Gaps Crown, it's just on the foothills of the same kind of mountain range that Gaps that we share with Gaps Crown. Uh, above Sonoma State. Right next to Sonoma State. Sure, sure. So. Okay. I'm curious, though, what happened to fruit? Why was it that... What happened in the industry that that you decided to get out of selling apples and pears? Was it just you just weren't making money? Yeah, that's exactly that's the story that um, we always, you know, the the comical part of it. But is that you know, everyone said, well, how did your grandfather? Our grandfather planted most of these pears. I mean, especially a couple, you know, as we bought the home ranch, bought the home ranch in 1927. As every kid, his joke, every every kid he had, he had to buy another ranch, right? So that was his as he expanded kind of his you know footprint and. So he planted a lot of those pears. So when they, in the 80s, um, you know, they got in the 50s, 60s, there was what, 70 canneries. And then by the, you know, late 70s, they we were down to five canneries. So the wow. handwriting was on the wall because you could get fresh fruit year round and canning. I mean, Mike and I grew up on a lot of canned fruit because <laughs> that was kind of always, that was always at the table. Absolutely. And, uh, but it, that kind of industry was dying. And so my dad and uncles and aunt, because at that point they were running kind of the, the business, the family business, they, they saw that they needed to get out. And uh, they had planted our first vineyard in Green Acres Vineyard in 1969. And that was when they kind of got their kind of toe, dipped their toe in the water of growing wine grapes. And they saw a really good promise and bright promise and uh, future with, you know, uh, the wine industry. And uh, But it was still do or die. I mean, there was. Um, and, and what was planted? on that original vineyard and who did you sell it to? So the original Green Acres planting was, um, God, they planted everything, them Chardonnay, uh, even Cabernet to see if they could, I mean, at that point it was just kind of plant the main, the varietals to see what, what will do best. And, um, so they, but my grandfather, my little Chenin Blanc out there, maybe then, uh, they're, <laughs> No, I, I know Pinot, Pinot Noir, uh, it was called Pinot Chardonnay at the time. And then uh, Cabernet, yeah. And the Gabardine uh, is no longer there, as right. you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it didn't do, didn't do very well. But so, but my grand, my dad went to my grandfather and, and told him, "Hey, we got to pull out these, you know, you know." At that time, it was three hundred acres of you know fully producing pear trees, and and he kind of went through the whys, and he said, "Well, you know, we're losing, you know, half we've been losing half a million dollars a year." And he kind of paused and thought about it for a little bit, and he said, uh, "Pull the son of a bitches out." So. <laughs> He, he was. He realized it in order in order to have a multi generational family business, you had to be profitable at least. Half, at least a, once half a million a year is going to get your attention. That's a yes. loss. So yeah. absolutely. So that was, and then at that time, the as I alluded to, the wine industry was starting to grow, and there was you know with the whole you know '80s boom, and they kind of um, they caught they kind of caught that kind of at the um, as the vineyards came into production. If you think the mid '80s, they kind of caught that kind of '80s wine boom. Yeah. And then they were able to expand with it as the industry kind of continued to grow. Uh, but the phylloxera thing was the, the other one that was kind of the big 
Um, phylloxera planted at that point in the 80s, they didn't know that phylloxera, the root stocks like AXR wasn't resistant to phylloxera. So um, all of a sudden, you know, late 80s, early 90s, they, guess what, guys, your stuff you planted is not resistant to phylloxera. So then it was kind of the, you know, what's going to happen? Is this going to be, you know, the vine's going to be need to be pulled out in three or four years. And so they planted, um, we planted the, our Donnell Ranch, and that was our next big expansion as we kind of increased the, the 15 vineyards in 1993. And that was planted, one, because, and that was the worst, one of the worst times, was a, there was a wine kind of surplus. And so that wasn't the, even though that's always the best time to plant is when there's a wine surplus, because when the time they come into production, you're kind of usually out of it. But they planted that in case all the, at that time they had about 500 acres of grapes, but in case, you know, the, you know, four or 500 of AXR got wiped out, they had a, you know, another replacement, one from, from a monetary standpoint, but also from a, a market share, just to kind of keep a relationship with all the wineries. So, Do both of you guys have a favorite vineyard? One that you just like more than the other for some reason? That's a good question. Right. I, I, no, right. I, I don't. I like I like them all equally, just like my kids. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. I, I wasn't going there. I'm I'm just trying to figure out. You know, right, let's talk about the ones we don't like. You know, we can we can always <laughs> say that about our kids. No. <laughs> well, you've got Green Acres. You got Veller, Kaiser, Montini, Sorensen, Gray, Amaral, Tallgrass. Uh, all all these around here. So they're all a little different, and uh, you know, they, I mean, there must be some difference in them all. I mean, winemakers are very passionate about what blocks they get their grapes yep. from, right? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it, uh, alluding from the winemaker standpoint, it's amazing how you have some that love one vineyard and some that don't. You know, yep. There's obviously some crossover where they all love certain vineyards, um, you know. But it's it's amazing just based on soil. Yeah. So to answer, there's tons of differences from a soil standpoint. So as we are on the west side, we kind of along these, the you know the um, where our home ranches and kind of we're tucked along our Katarina Vineyard, our Keezer, our Green Acres are kind of tucked along all these creeks. There's Sonoma Creek, Roger Creek, Fowler Creek. So we got a lot of nice alluvial soil and very well drained. And so with that, um, you know, it creates a different, the canopies are all, you know, kind of moderate, bigger. And so it's, you know, um, lose itself to a different style. I'd say, I mean, but then you got to throw in clones and rootstock, which is a whole nother you know, conversation. Um, and then as we kind of go towards the West, we get into kind of the hills, you get some of the heavier, you know, uh, the clays that kind of more kind of um, less well-drained, kind of moderate, bigger. So there is differences from a stylistic standpoint and um, some will hold, some have different acids, some have more malic acid, which, you know, some winemakers prefer versus others. So there's all those little kind of uh, intricacies in the wine that, um, you know, and, and one other thing is winemakers, a lot of these, um, blocks they've been working with for years so they really understand how to make it like what works what doesn't what yeast works what's you know what to add what not to add so that's where they can become their you know their it becomes their baby and they have to see they and they, and they like it because they get to see the vineyard grow up because a lot of them will get because most of the vineyards that get into are, no, are no, new plantings because all the other ones are allocated so we'll plant a new vineyard and so a lot of them will get in in their you know first second third crop and so then they'll you know, if they like it, you know, then they'll stick with it and then they'll can be able to work with it for, you know, like Benzinger has been working with their blocks for, you know, they get 12 different Chardonnay blocks and they've been working for 20 years at that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I started there in 98 and I think that might've been about the height then through the mid nineties 
um, with how much fruit that they brought from you, bought from you guys. Um, and it was, it was like 80% of all the Chardonnay we did. And I think we did 30,000 cases of Chardonnay. So it was a large, large amount for sure. And yeah, I'm sure they're still buying from them. Those oh, same the, blocks, yeah. The, right? uh, the, I mean, I think they've trimmed a little bit, uh, as you alluded to. They've, uh, but they've kept all their favorites. That's right. for sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's twelve of their, their favorite favorite blocks. So Mark's, what? Mark's, Mark's been able to keep those blocks so far, anyway, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> when you, it's primarily Chardonnay and Pinot Noir out here, correct? That's yes. correct. Yeah, primarily what you guys grow. But you you said that you had a cab coming out in the, for a spring release. So that is from from a, our Napa vineyard. So we have Napa a vineyard. yeah. So we have a vineyard in Napa off Skellinger Lane in uh, in Oakville that we've owned for thirty years. It, um, kind of in late eighties. Um, my our, our dad and uncles and aunt they became uh, became went in partnership with the Nord family. So they're uh, he's a partner with us in the vineyard um, that. Right off of, um, you know, right next to kind of Camus's headquarters over there. So Isn't it's, there a Nord winery? So Nords did, Nord they, they, did a, they did a label a while ago. I don't know if they're still doing it, but uh, they're, they're primarily, primarily uh, vineyard manager. Uh, so they, yeah, so they farm a lot of different vineyards over there. And how did, where, how did the Pinot Gris fit in? I don't, where did that come about? So uh, Ken Bernardus uh, was looking, he thought it would be a good area for some Pinot Gris, and so he asked us when, one year, to, um, we were selling Chardonnay and Pinot Noir as well, and he said, would you plant a couple acres of it? And we thought, you know, there'd been a lot of uh, interest in Pinot Gris, and so we thought, you know, he's someone we'd like to take a, take a shot and give it a go. And uh, so he selected the clones, and we planted the two acres, and it's done really well. I mean, it's made really good wine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just from this area, we just haven't planted any more because we just haven't had any other winemakers <laughs> coming to us asking us for it. But even though the quality has been very good, it's just yeah. the nature of the variety in this area. And and have you guys ever had any blocks of Syrah or not? In, on Lakeville, was there, yeah. isn't there some Syrah? Or is it still there? It is, yeah. So down in Lakeville on the hillside down there, we uh, with the Frederick family, we planted uh, some Syrah, uh, three blocks. Uh, Aaron Jordan, when he was at Nyers at the time, selected the three clones, and uh, we still still have one of the Syrah blocks. Syrah obviously has gone through its ups and downs in popularity, but the wine quality has been very good there. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where does that Syrah go? You know, it's it's funny. It's bounced around. I mean, because I mean, Syrah is difficult to sell. So (laughs) I'm preaching to the choir here. So. But, uh, but so we like it a lot. Everyone loves a it. A lot. <laughs> it, everyone loves it except the consumers, right? Yeah. On that, so. Hey, no, no. I'm the consumer here. That's I, right. I, I, you... I get Syrahs, and I, I enjoy a, a GSM blend, too. Yeah. You know, that really helps the Grenache. But that, but that took a little education on, on some people's part uh, to you, John. I mean, <laughs> you were sort of a silver uh, oak that took, guy. That took uh, your education, right. uh, Brian. Right. So. so, yeah, drinking, we're big in the uh, Rhone varietals, so it, it just was a matter of turning people. And that's what I say with Syrah and Grenache and Mauvet, and it's it's getting it in people's mouths. Once you get it in their mouth and they see that this is um, this is good wine, it's just that, uh, you know, when they go out to a restaurant, they automatically head towards that Cab, Pinot, and Chard familiar sections of the list, yeah. things that they're familiar with. And uh, all it takes is to make a reservation at the Girl in the Fig and go make them uh, step out of their comfort zone for, Shout for at least out to one dinner. Sandra sure. Bernstein uh, and yeah, the Girl in the Fig yeah, there. Get, yeah, get some Syrah and some uh, Roussan or something in their mouths. Because once people try it, I mean, they're sold. And John, you're the, the perfect example of that. <laughs> I'll drink anything now. It's, you know, yeah. seriously. So I'd, I'd like you guys, if one of you guys or both of you to 
talk a little bit about your first Chardonnay here that we're tasting. And then we have, um, this is your own, your own wine. And then we have two other Chardonnays we're tasting here today. Um, a Sojourn, uh, 2015 San Giacomo, and Barnett, I believe, 2016 San Giacomo. Um, they're probably all from different blocks. Um, uh, but I, it's interesting to taste all three of them because they're all obviously different. Um, uh, the Barnett is the a little more lush and round and more fully ML'd. Um, Sojourn is probably the crispest of them. Um, and, and yours kind of fits in the middle to me, maybe a little closer to the Sojourn than the Barnett. Um, but they're all delicious. So could you talk a little bit about how you came about selecting a winemaker for your own wine? Because uh, let's face it, every winemaker in town probably wanted that job. Um, so if you could talk about that a little bit and give him some kudos and go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that's, you know, for us, as we kind of put the c concept to fruition, it was a more of, of I think like, we need to start with, we knew we had great fruit. And then at that point, it's like, find the, you know, the, the magic wand of the winemaker. So with, uh, James McPhail, <laughs> who he had been, we'd worked with him for a number of years and for, for 20 years, probably with his own brand McPhail. And he had recently had sold it to Hess. And so he'd made wine there for a couple of years and through the transition. So he was actually coincidentally just stepping out on his own. So it just made sense because we had a long-term relationship. He knew our vineyards. He just made wine from it, which was key, right? So he had had all that experience. So, uh, it was kind of an easy choice for us to kind of um, kind of work with him, and and you obviously liked the wines that he made off the property. Absolutely, yeah. We were, you know, we tasted a plenty plenty of them, and so we we understood his style, and it kind of fit kind of our style, right, of making really wanting the vineyards to speak through in the wine. So I mean, we we all taste a lot of them, a lot of wines out there that it just they taste kind of, you know, the vineyards are there, but they're just not at the forefront. So. It was, you know, a paramount for us, for our vineyards to really kind of show through. So with that, um, you know, he, he has, you know, light hand style, just kind of let the kind of vineyard do its thing uh, with also doing his expertise and kind of, you know, keeping close tabs on what's going on with it. Yeah. So. And, you know, I think that's a good descriptor because the Sojourn, the acid is kind of the pronounced part of it. And the Barnett, it's a little, like I say, a little rounder, a little richer. And yours, it's probably the most balanced in that aspect. And so, therefore, showing the vineyard the best. So, yeah, uh, and, and so I would agree on that part. I mean, that's my favorite out of the three. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that the next thing, too, as you alluded to, Bart, was what vineyard. So, so it was easy. Right. It was, it's a difficult decision. I mean, as Mike said, we had 14 favorite kids, right, that all all kind of you know want uh, have their hand up right but uh for us it was easy because the home ranch which is where we're at here this is kind of near and dear to our heart because where we started and in green acres which was our first vineyard that we ever planted so what are we looking out the window on that's this is our home ranch this is our actually all our, chardonnay all chardonnay and so it's it's beautiful um our our vineyard the uh, home our home ranch selection is just about uh maybe just so just past this vineyard right here so and with and then it was imperative for us to for us is to use the old Wenty clone uh, just as kind of a favorite of ours and um, for the style of wine we're gonna we're, we wanted to make so uh, we picked a couple uh, old Wenty selections at, within our home ranch and Green Acres to kind of make this Sonoma Coast so we do have single bottlings of each um, just on our first that's um, part of the sixteen portfolio and then this is kind of a James put a blend of both to kind of make that this kind of um, kind of Compl uh, a blend that complements them both. So, 
Cool. Um, and, and, and then one other thing to kind of talk about, because I think this is a fascinating thing that you do every year, is you host two tastings a year um, here in Sonoma, and there's a Chardonnay tasting and a Pinot tasting, right? And you invite all the wineries to submit wines or, or submit, you have a tasting of every winery, at least one of their wines, right? Yeah, we, and we, you do that with all the wineries. Could you talk about that a little sure. bit? Sure. So every year we do a Chardonnay and a Pinot, ta- Pinot tasting, just as you said. And we taste the ranches by, or taste uh, the, the Chardonnays by ranch and then even specifically by block. So we invite all the winemakers to submit a sample. It's voluntary. Some of them don't submit samples. Most do. And then you're able to also come even if you don't submit a sample. And then um, it's really kind of an educational thing, kind of the winemakers really you know, share their secrets, if you will, at least most of them, not all of them, but probably, but um, they talk about, you know, what type of oak, how, how many days, what type of yeast, uh, fermentation, all the details are there. And then at the very, after tasting them in, uh, in flights, um, each winemaker gets up and talks a little bit about the wine, about the vintage, and then the other winemakers are, are free to ask them questions, you know, um, publicly or privately on the side. So it's given us an opportunity to learn more about what the what winemakers are thinking and, you know, how the wines react to what we're doing, or excuse me, what viticultural practices have an effect on the wine. And we've learned, and then I think the winemakers have learned as well. We know we don't want it to, um, we always worry that uh, this becomes tiresome year over year for them, but almost, I'd say 99% of them say, look, this is a great exercise for us to learn more. So it's not Mike, what kind of questions do the other winemakers ask the presenting winemaker? Every year, it's going to be picking date. Why'd you pick? You know, what were you looking for? I mean, that's obviously the most important decision a winemaker make. Uh, so that comes up every year. And then sometimes, you know, talking about certain blocks, uh, certain clones, um, you know, yeast type, you know, like why, why did you select that? Natural and, uh, yeasts? Or some of them are wild okay. fermentation. Some of them are, you know, more commercialized. And, you know, some of them made changes over the years. And uh, it's funny how they note that. Uh, winemakers remember, like, and like, for example, in a Katarina blocks, you used to use wild yeast or you went, why'd you make a change? And, you know, they'll, you know, I'm talking, we're talking winemakers remember other people's yeast over like eight years. And then they're, you know, they're asking them why. And then uh, a lot of them are very frank and honest and say, hey, this, this is why we made a change or this is for this vintage why we made a change. I think the most <coughs> coolest part of the tasting is when <coughs> um, they start talking dialogue. So, I mean, yeah. it, it could be, um, you know, talking shop, right? In terms of just, you know, like Mike alluded to the yeast, but it can even, because they'll sum, submit, you know, tons of data from punch overs to, you know, <clears throat> from nutrient ads to processing. So it's like when they get in the nitty gritty of, you know, nutrient ads or if it's like, you know, certain processing techniques, why are you doing this? And so they can go back and forth. And that's when for us, I mean, we learn a ton from it, <clears throat> but from our clients, it really makes it beneficial across the board when they can kind of have that dialogue and kind of learn from each other. And again, it's making better wine out of it. Well, you've, you've created that dialogue for mm-hmm. a lot of winemakers, and I'm sure that they enjoy it. They do, and we don't have, there's no press, there's no media, there's no, um, it's just, it's, we've kept it bare roots because it just, it'll change the focus of it quickly. And uh, we want to keep a trust among all our, you know, winemakers that, that look, this is in house. And I think, over the years, it used to be, because we've been doing this since 1989, so um, last year was our 30th Chardonnay tasting, and this goes back to my dad's and uncle's and aunt's vision to kind of put this on, and um, we, we, we've enhanced it, but the core principles of it we haven't changed, And um, but it, there used to be where pe- winemakers would bring problem lots, just right. 
just, I mean, I'm sure bars spend a few. Well, or, you know, when when you go visit a winery and they start off with the problem lots and yeah. then they look at you like, well, how, how, how can you help us? How can, how, how did this happen? And yeah. you say, well, I don't know. What did you guys do to it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in the recent years, which I get, you're in front of your peers. So it does kind of become a little dog and pony show because they want to put their best their best foot forward. And I, I get that, but there's still tons of, you know, educational components to it. Oh, the exchange of information there must just be incredible. Well, and let's face it, there's not as many bad lots of wine anymore because the technology and we know more growers know more. We know more. I mean, a lot has happened since, you know, the 1980s in both viticulture and winemaking. You know, winemakers' egos have gotten bigger and they make less mistakes, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's always a grower's fault, right? And you, yeah. you guys have always been heavily into sustainability um, from your farming and taking care of the soil. You're good stewards. What are you doing right? I think we're getting, principles haven't changed. You know, our grandfather started years ago with them, um, you know, take care of your land, take care of your, pe- take care of your people. And I don't think those principles have changed. I mean, you know, this has been a long-term vision for the family the whole time. So, um, you know, main, making sure that there's sustainability in the soil, the business is sustainable, um, and then you're taking care of the people that are t- helping to take care of you as well. So I, I, I think it's, you know, the, the details and the, you know, the technology and all that has enhanced, it's evolved over time, you know, it's continued, this, you know, part of the sustainability mantra is continued improvement, which I think everybody's doing. But the core principles have always been there for our family. I mean, there's a, never been kind of an idea of we're going to make a fast buck on this thing. Um, you know, and, and, and sustainability. A fast buck over 10 years, 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't happen. Work. Does it, it doesn't work, you know, long term. And that's really kind of the, you know, again, I keep going back to those principles that, uh, you know, our grandfather started. It was much less sophisticated and wasn't written down on a spreadsheet and there was no PowerPoint presentation. But, um, you know, sitting around the table where all the discussions happened with my, my you know, my dad and my uncles and my aunt and the rest of the family. I mean, those are kind of where, you know, that was our board meeting. And, you know, the what he and my grandmother as well, I don't want to leave her out. You know, what, you know, their vision is kind of what we're still trying to, um, you know, follow through with today. And that came to light when, so Sonoma County um, is wine growers. We're trying to become the first county 100% certified sustainable. Yeah. So there, there, is a certif- there is a sustainable program that's been, um, you know, put together by California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance, uh, which is uh, California Association of Wine Growers and the Wine Institute put together the sustainability program. There's other ones like Fish Friendly Farming. There's uh, Central Valley. Uh, Central Coast has one. So there's all these programs that really uh, make people put growers go through assessments and a you lot a, a lot of work. Uh, but there's 130 plus assessments. It talks about how you, you know, from you know what you do in the vineyard, how you, what you do with your water, your all your resources, your people, um, all the way down to you know the light sources in your office. I mean, it's very thorough. And so the program's been in place for. Um, God, Mike's on the board. How long has it been placed? 15 years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it at least 15 years. So, Sonoma County put a stake in the ground five years ago or four years ago. We're going to be the first county 100% um, certif- all our vineyards cert- uh, certified sustainable. And we're That's at 85%. Beautiful. Gotta and, like it. And we're, we're getting there. But as we, we've been certified sustainable for six years, and but as we went through the assessments, we realized, you know, we went through with our, our you know, our grandfather had passed by then, but uh, with our dad and uncles, and we'd going through them, 
just talking through kind of what we do now and before, a lot hasn't changed. I mean, of course, there's with technology and there's different, you know, uh, tools we use for irrigation monitoring, all those sort of things have enhanced. But the core principles, as Mike alluded to, haven't changed. So it's just it's more this program is great because it allows transparency for the consumer to really understand how we farm and what we do. So when we say sustainable, it's well, then here's here's what it is. I mean, here's. Here's all these you know assessments we go through, and this is the attention to detail that we do in our vineyard and our business, and um, and then a lot of it. The, the key component is the community and the people, right? And how we take care of you know um, our employees and what we do to you know support their families, and because they're the lifeblood of any business, especially our. And how many business. employees do you guys have? We have a hundred, but we have about fifty full time, and we'll go up to a hundred, one hundred fifty seasonal. So. Well, and to that point, has have you ever had someone like the Henry Wine Group come in and say, you know what, we'd really love to purchase these vineyards. What it, what would it take? Probably not the Henry Wine Group. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> or the uh, we have, I mean, the Wine Group, the, the, uh, the Wine, wine Group. Or, yeah. We haven't. I mean, I, I think we. I mean, the answer to the question. We haven't been approached. I think they know the answer. I mean, if um, so, I mean, I know there's been a lot of. You know, in the last five years, there's been a lot of activity with kind of things changing hands. Family owned. Family uh, owned. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, just, you know, partners and stuff, family partners and family businesses. I mean, our goal is, you know, Mike and my sister, Mia, who's heavily involved as well. And she's our goal is to pass it on to the next generation with their seven. So we'll we'll do our best, you know, to (laughs) put in And, and, and let them figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it's our job, though, to put in, which we're working to put in, you know, kind of um, policies and stuff to where, you know, hopefully it doesn't become a, you know, a situation where, you know, all of a sudden there's a force there or there's, it, it needs to be divided up because I think our grandparents would, they'd, uh, they wouldn't be too, they'd, they'd roll over, I think, in their grave when it comes to that. So, so the, both of you um, went to Sonoma High, right? Or did you guys no, go to um, different high schools? You went to different high schools. Yeah. Um, did, but you both went to Santa Clara. No, no. no. <laughs> Boy, I got to do my research better. I guess I was thinking you both went to Santa Clara. Um, was there ever a time where either one of you like were thinking about doing something else other than coming back and working at the family business? It wasn't for me. I mean, I, I you know, I growing up as a kid. I mean, um, Steve had probably a similar story, but you know, I um, minor anecdotal story. Love getting up for frost in the middle of the night, even you know, with that. I lo- love being around. The operation as a kid, you know, I mean, obviously when you're young, driving tractor seems really enticing, but um, more than that, it was just being around the whole operation. So, um, you know, to, to finish up on that, though, my dad did encourage us to, to do something different before we came back. He said, because, um, you know, the agriculture is a different lifestyle. And if you want it, it's a great one. But if you're not, if your heart's not in it, you know, then, um, you know, you pursue other things. And that, and that was everybody in the family. What a, pursue your passion, whatever it is. There was no pressure to come back. Yeah. No, I, I didn't think that. If, if there was something that, you know, what was something of an interest that, you know, that you were considering as a career? Uh, not, not, not for me. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. I mean, our grandmother was, she was pretty transparent of like, don't feel like you have to come back. And I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't think it, you know, in the eighties, I don't know if there's much opportunity here when you have a, a, a business losing $500,000 a year. Right. <laughs> so it's probably not a lot of opportunity, but, um, but she was pretty, transparent go be a you know doctor teacher fireman lawyer do go do something you want to never feel pressure to come back but i mean it is i mean mike and i spent a lot of time out and that was our dad's big his big emphasis you can you know both of us played sports we both played college sports so we could train as long as we're training 
we can we uh, what you play in fire. college? I played. We both. I both played football. So, so but we both played college, uh, high school sports and stuff. But is you can be trained when you're not training. You're going to be working. So you're not going to be you know sitting around the house. So and that that was a good principle to learn just because um, you know to kind of understand what really goes into this and because uh, his generation they loved school because when it wasn't school they were working so there's spring breaks and christmas <laughs> breaks they were pruning pear trees they were out in the out in the orchards doing stuff so they they're always talking when it came to school they would loved it so so when, <laughs> when school was starting i was like with my kids this a week, light just went off in my right <laughs> exactly so there's something to said besides um you know the the, the modern the, the modern uh, when our kids are complaining about going to school we just throw throw, throw them on the uh, you know, give them a picking uh, knife yeah there's other things they could be doing out there yeah and w- when you guys decided to make wine wh- do you build a facility a crush pad for yourself or are you using someone else's um, um, equipment yeah no what would so obviously we selected James and then where James wanted to make the wine we weren't going to build a facility that's just mm-hmm. pretty Pretty small operation here for the wine side. So I know we're making it at a custom crush place. Uh, we started at Sugarloaf. Uh, we've now moved up to Grand Cru mm-hmm. up in Windsor. Um, you know, it's, a, it's really, they're both set up for nice small lots. And, you know, the, for the type of quality that we're looking for, James is very comfortable. So, uh, no, we couldn't replicate in a short period of time what they're able to do up there. And, uh, right. you know, for the foreseeable future, that's where we're going to continue to be. Okay. But the the original Ravenswood winery is on the property right i mean obviously it's not still a winery and stuff but the building over there on broadway is the old ravenswood winery is that true or is that good a, no, good knowledge bart that's good that's, i have been around for a little good, while good yeah, local you're three you're one for three good, one for three good, yeah. good local knowledge yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and actually i think you brought the ravenswood uh merlot there that we'll try here in a little bit but um yeah no that is that's where joel and his team started and um that was you know right on um Right on Broadway, that first S, the S turn there. The, uh, when so did T start? I think it was '84. I want to say um, the Merlot was one of the, you know, Zins because with this program he's got once in future he's gone back to his original vineyards and the uh, Merlot is one of his first skews. I think I'm mean, obviously a couple of Zin vineyards. I'm sure. Well, he made right. Zin ubiquitous. Every grocery store, every drugstore in America had a Ravenswood Zin for seven ninety nine. Well, that was. That was kind of when that was when the the, the business evolved. Originally in the eighties, that was just all those single vineyards, and he was selling them, you know, to um, you know, just with you know high end brokers, right? And yeah. and so I mean, he was kind of the, you know, the really small small brand. Yeah, he was of, really started off by doing you know small vineyard designated Zins, the Merlot from you guys. They yeah. did a San Giacomo Chardonnay, right? Mm-hmm. That's if right. I remember right. Yeah, they still do that. Um, actually, yeah. yeah, and so the, there's been a connection there for a long time. Yeah. And then as Ravenswood grew, John, that's when it kind of became everywhere. And yeah, um, but that well, was, once he sold, right? Uh, that actually even that's, before that's why someone wanted to buy him because yeah, they did a hell of a go. job building he, that brand. Yeah, he brought in some partners that kind of had the foresight to help you know put this whole yeah. the bigger mo- the bigger model together, right? I mean, he's kind of at the forefront, right, of that whole yeah, build, build, building the yeah, brand and yeah. kind of. You know, making it in bigger production and yeah, creating a brand absolutely. and selling it, yeah. and and and, and, and you know, going from like m- making kind of it synonymous, right? Like, like, well, I've no Ravenswood Zinfandels, and I can get it for this price, and you know, and it was quality for the time. So, now, Megan just filled my glass with an absolutely spectacular wine. Right? Please describe it. 
So this is our 2016 Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. So, um, oh, so good. As our Chardonnay is a blend of uh, some vineyards, this mm. this uh, Pinot Noir is a blend of um, three vineyards. And so similar thought process of where we're going to um, kind of source fruit. Made sense for kind of us to start in Carneros, our Amaral Ranch, which is um, one of the first vineyards we planted with kind of the Dijon clones in the early 2000s. And... And then our Frederick Vineyard, which was um, a, a hillside vineyard we planted in 2000 in the Petaluma Gap in the southern portion. And then it's a blend of our Robert. The third component is our Roberts Road, which is uh, in Katadi that we had talked about right next to uh, Sonoma State University. So um, this is this uh, Pio Noir is kind of, um, you know, we're trying to make it more of a, you know, not big and ripe, but kind of definitely just in that kind of nice uh you know, kind of a crowd pleaser, but still maintaining the authenticity of the of the varietal. As you know, some Pinot Noirs have gotten a little out over the top. This is we're really trying to maintain the natural acidity and kind of that Burgundy character that you know Pinot Pinot lovers love. Um, and what clones are you using for this? Because there are some really popular Pinot clones. Yeah, so this is a blend of um, there's four: one fifteen, Dijon one fifteen, Dijon seven seven seven. And then there's uh, Pomard, and then there's Swan. So those are the four four different components to it. So we do make a Roberts Road uh, skew as well. That's um, all, all Roberts Road, obviously. Wine of the week recently. That's right. That's a pe- that, that's right. The peg. I got ma- the paper right. That's please. right. You did. You got that. <laughs> so now, how do you age this? How do we age it in terms of just? Are you in uh, neutral oak, French oak? Oh, gotcha. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, uh, yeah. So our heavy toast. What? So what it's on your wine making hats. Too. There we go. Exactly. So our, all it's our not all about the grapes. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> you need some oak. We all like our wood, right? So, uh, so twenty. It's twenty five percent new oak. So our our Chardonnay, our Pinot's thirty percent new oak, and our Chardonnay's twenty five percent new oak, and the on the all the other um, rest is just kind of neutral. Well, you know, once, twice used barrels. Um, that's okay with me. You can over oak. You really can. I mean, I think everybody at the table would agree. You've had things that have been on oak too long. So, well, when you have beautiful fruit, John, you don't want to. You don't want to mess too it up. Much, uh, no. Too many other ingredients, which right. yeah, which the barrel will do. Um, but I, I, I love this Pinot, and you know, um, James has been a. Um, a great Pinot producer. I think that's ten years ago. I think. The McPhail Pinot from Anderson Valley was probably my my favorite Pinot um, for a couple of years. Um, just and and I didn't know that he was he making Chardonnay at McPhail as well. In small dose, yeah. He uh, towards the end, as he kind of grew the brand, he started making a couple of different Chardonnays. And he's making the cab for you too. He is. So he's making the cab, and he does. Um, you know, that was guys. James, we're gonna make a cab. He's like, oh, I, he he had made a couple cabs, and then he you know he's had you know a lot of. Uh, you know, colleagues, I'll say, that really helped them, he said, along the way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if that seemed like fun or if that was saying, oh, I don't no, know. No, he's I really popped. I mean, we told him, uh, hey, because, you know, the cabs uh, in Oakville, so, you know, there's a lot of um, big boys over there. And said, so we want to yeah. compete with the big boys. So um, so he, he brought all the, the tricks out for it. And, <laughs> With it, pulled out all the big guns. Yeah, he did. A he little did. more oak on on that. Side. You know, the oak. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure the percent of new oak on it, but um, just the whole Sanye. Just you know, we got our. Just put it this way, Bar. We got our our yields, our cases to to how many tons, and it wasn't very. 
much. I, so I called James. I said, I said, yeah. wait, is there a mistake? He's like, what? There's only two you, tons of, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I think oh, our yield is two tons. And he's like, he's like, oh, you said you wanted to play with the big boys, didn't you? I said, there you go. So what, what he's dropping fruit or he's just uh, just very, more very selective it, it, about it's, uh, it's the it's that of attention detail in the vineyard which and over there it's just all the highest end it's more just you know the you know the Sonya just taking the the free run off right and just I mean, Bart, you know, that's your expertise. Keeping, just keeping the free run. Sometimes another trick they do is they bleed off a little juice before the fermentation starts to increase the juice per skin. Um, yeah, that's right. And so that drops your gallons per ton. Right. And so that's where the disconnect is. So. And you get the more intensity around the skins, right? Yeah. You know, Mike and, and Steve, uh, a lot of people have asked us about dropping fruit. And why? Because they don't understand leaving good grapes on the ground. Well, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's a perplexing graduation for a grower. No. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I, too, bad, <laughs> too bad Sam wasn't here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's an important, an important um, a part of uh, viticulture, you know, and certain clones, they lend themselves to throwing bigger crops, and then you have to have the discipline to knock them down, uh, meaning leave the fruit on the, knock some of the fruit on the ground. Um, you know, each vine... Each site has its own balance. You know, we really kind of strive for balance over the years. And uh, if if a, if a crop is on the heavier side and if it's later, depending on there's a few other factors. I mean, I think that most good v- growers, which the mode around here there are, and winemakers have the discipline to, to go ahead and remove the extra fruit. And what I mean by extra fruit is if the, the vine can't handle it, obviously you have your primary shoots where you want the fruit to be carried, and then there's suckers and, and second crop and all that stuff. That's the stuff that you really want to get on the ground and... Um, in, in, in mature shoots and uh, but yeah now that's a big part of plus it's good for the soil too right it is yeah. it keeps balance yeah i mean add some nutrients back yeah well and i mean two and a half tons per acre is not just because you farm at two and a half tons per acre doesn't mean that you're farming for high quality it could be the fact that your vineyard is not doing well um just the same to say that having five tons of the acre does not mean you're farming um you know four tonnage it just says that's what your vineyard does when it's in balance and you know you want the ripe to you want the fruit to come mature um equal to the sugar accumulation and sometimes that means hanging a little more fruit or sometimes that means taking off some fruit right very true. Hey, very okay hey, i'm gonna quote you on that bart you're you're, you're speaking like do a, i sound you're, like you're, a winemaker you're, you're, no you're speaking like a grape grower i like it i mean because a winemaker would say two and a half tons any two and a half tons is better than four four tons an acre not all not all but i yeah, but you know what? you're right a lot of them would but i i don't agree with that because i see times where you all of a sudden you're at 26 sugar and you don't have a lot of flavor and you're then having to water or just wait and then you watch things turn to raisin. You yeah, know? the skins and, are skins are green, right. the stems are green yeah. and the seeds and, are green and, and if yeah. and and if there was a little more I always think that if there was a little more fruit out there that maybe it would take longer for it to become um, sugar ripe and would taste more mature. I, I agree one one thing, and that's the balance. I mean, for us as growers, we don't want to put a lot of stress on our vines because one, it has it can have a negative long term effect. So it goes back to the balance where we need to, you know, use discipline. And it, it's hard to drop it on the ground. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's you know, it's you know, you work all year for this, and you are dropping, 
you know, fruit and money on the ground. But at the same time, you have to be disciplined to do it for, for the right reasons from a quality standpoint, number one, and also the, for the vine health, which is equally important because, you know, it's, you know, we need, these are, you know, investments that we want to last hopefully 20, 25 years, you know? So, um, that's why it's important for us to really maintain that health and make the right decisions to go through and, you know, create that balance, find well, that balance. Will any of these vineyards ultimately end up in uh, Morgan Twain Peterson's uh, vintage uh, vineyard area? I well, mean, we do. You, are, you we said are, you wanted to. Them, you I wanted, think he's asking is, would any of your vineyards eventually become part of the historical vineyards? You're saying they'll last 20 to 30 years. Yeah, I mean, we, what's I mean, the difference between so, those? So uh, we the last do have um, Morgan is. We, uh, last three years, he's bought some um, Chardonnay for his uh, sparkling project. So we have a our Caterina Vineyard, which is um, you know that's got Matt what thirty five years eighty one yeah eighty one so what thirty seven years old. So he's buying that. Um, we do actually have our, the first vineyard we ever planted. Our Green Acres uh, it was a nineteen sixty nine planting. We still have that in the ground. It's five acres. It um, you know it's it's. We always joke our, our accountant doesn't like it because it's you know it's it's a one ton one and a half tons an acre but we've kept it just from a just a heritage I mean hence the word heritage so Saintsbury's been getting that fruit for you know since inception so and they do a, you know Green Acres Old Wenty Heritage Block and uh, and so this year we're looking at maybe doing um, a bottling from there we're gonna get a couple tons just because I mean just for our own. Um, you know, just it's just for the right reasons of it's the first vineyard we ever yeah, planted, and I think that's where we're actually we're meeting with James tomorrow and to talk about um, that one. We're going to try and do maybe a Chablis style potentially. So, so John, though that vineyard would I'm certainly be eligible for them to register it in in that historical vineyard society thing. It's amazing how many really old vines are around here i mean some i think now in our conversations we've determined that if it was world war ii it's now an old vine <laughs> and uh, on the other hand i've talked to well we've talked to people recently who have been farming 1900 yeah. vines yeah. those are really old vines those are vintage yeah. truly but you know i mean it's just you see the you see the drop off um you know and so there there are trade offs it's and i'm i'm not sure what it is that creates pagani ranch where some of those are so old and beautiful you know i mean they're just well, John, part of that stunning. is varietal, varietal specificity if you want to call it i mean there's well, Right, rootstock. Okay. And, I mean, when you're talking about Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and then you're talking about old field blends that are, you know, Zin and Alicante and Do you Barbera guys do any and, field blends at all? We don't. Okay. don't. You know, that was something, you know, um, if you, you're alluding to, you know, depend on the variety. Zinfandel and some of the other stuff okay. lends itself to field blends. Yeah. Uh, there was there was some talk about doing that with Pinot Noir I mean, back in the early 90s, and one winemaker was thinking of it, and then another dozen didn't think it was such a good then idea. Then he thought, he thought different. Huh? <laughs> when I have a totally self-serving question, I'm wondering, is there any um, thoughts to possible in the next couple of years doing a rosé under your brand? I, yeah, I mean, that's that's hot. I mean, that's the hot category. I mean, we've, we've talked about it internally, but... Um, oh, how do those conversations go? I'm, well, I'm curious. I, <laughs> I, you know, I think... For us, we got to um, kind of chew what we've bitten off here with all these, you know, SKUs that we're, um, you know, trying to sell. Right? We have we have seven, right? So seven's a lot. Um, I mean, I, I think it. 
we're trying to wait it out to be honest to see if it's a fad or if it's here to stay so um i mean we've all been through these little you know, if it's uh, Malbec, right? The whole Malbec craze. And so is, is, if it's here to stay and we... Syrah was going to be the next Pinot Noir. Syrah and stuff. So, I mean, it's it's been talked about just like Syrah has been talked about. Megan's dying for us to do a Syrah. So <laughs> Good for you, Megan. I <laughs> like you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think a lot of times rosé is kind of an... It's an entry into the brand for some people. You know, it's a, it's a lower price point. It's a friendly, fun... Um, way for them to experience your brand and then move on, you know, up to the Chardonnay and then the Pinot and then the Cab. Um, and and I'm Chateau a, cash flow. Chateau, Chateau <laughs> cash flow. Um, and I'm a huge rosé drinker. I'm hoping it's not a fad. I think if you look at old world, look at France and Spain and Italy, I mean, you've got rosés that have been going on for quite some time. And I don't, I don't think it's a fad here. Brian, uh, you're adding um, Chen Blue rosé at Sante, correct? Uh, this week, as a matter of fact. So now... What's the retail on that bottle? What are we selling it for? No, or what, it just what can if you, you buy go to for? if you go to Sonoma's Best, thirty. Mm, I don't know. I, I can get 40? it at the Rhone Room for for about thirty bucks with my discount. Okay. I don't know what it what it is at Sonoma's Best. And their reds are a hundred across uh, the board. 80, 80 yeah, hundred. And, and once you get them shipped, once you and, pick and, them up, yeah, they're a hundred. <laughs> So then, to go relate that to um, our guest, or I mean our hosts here, um, what are the retail prices for these couple wines here today? So the uh, Chardonnay is fifty, and then the uh, Sonoma Coast is sixty, and then our Vineyard Designates, uh, the Chardonnay. We have a home ranch Vineyard Designate that was released. That's uh, sixty-five, and then our uh, Roberts Road uh, Pinot Noir is seventy-five. So. And all this is going to be done through, uh, is this uh, direct-to-consumer? Yeah, so we have an email allocation list that we've sent out to. So smart. So just uh, those that we know, and, um, you know, it's just kind of, our, we've kind of put our, our kind of Rolodexes together and just, you know, started sending out just email allocations in the spring. And then we have done some, um, you know, just promotional things on a couple of different shows like this and opened it up to listeners and so forth and then ideally long term is also to have this tasting lounge here that we're hopefully in a month or so will be open so we're still waiting for the final so now how permit. can our uh, listeners get San Giacomo wine yeah I was gonna say is there um, is there are there any local restaurants or stores that have brought it in you want to talk about that for the yeah. people here that listen to yeah we have I mean we people we, we haven't had a lot call we've had a handful um, like Della Santina's is cut the wine bars um, is carrying it. Swiss Hotels ass. We're still waiting. You know, Hank, Hank probably has a lot to, to choose from. But um, so those are the only just locally. Um, but we're, we're definitely open. Um, just kind of waiting to um, kind of get through. We have a fall release coming up, which is our Green Acre Chardonnay and then our V Maria. So V Maria is a proprietary blend of Pinot Noir where James has selected five barrels of just kind of just more. Um, it's in, in honor of our grandparents, oh, Vittorio and Maria. Right there. So I can tell already. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of a, it is a bigger style. I mean, it's just kind of, um, just to, to kind of go outside of the, the other two skews to keep them different. It's just a bigger style Pinot Noir, so. Well, I know our friend Todd Best over at Sonoma's, I mean, Todd, Todd Jolly. Jolly over at Sonoma's <laughs> Best would love to. Uh, bring in some of your wines. Yeah, so no, that, that's you guys that's, should. You know, that's what we want. Yeah, the locals that want it, yeah. we, we're happy to. Um, and we've had a couple local people call that's just the wrong fit, just yeah. based on the just where it's going and stuff. But I mean, majority of it's the right fit. It's fits um, real fine on me, baby. Believe me, <laughs> buckle into your Pinot. I'm just fine. 
<laughs> well, do you guys have kids that are ready to start doing a little work and taking over some of the responsibilities around here? Are they old enough? You guys look great. You said you were 49 years old? Yes, I am. Damn, yeah. looking good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're living a good yeah, life. Yeah, a couple 30-year-old kids here, <laughs> man. You know? Yeah, uh, are they... Are being they the old man in the room, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, but, so the I have three three children. I have a son, 19, uh, and then I have a daughter, 16, and a son, 14, and Steve's got um, two younger kids uh, as well. Um, I'll let him name his kids. Um, but no, my son's the oldest in 19, and he's... Uh, a sophomore, going to be a sophomore here at University of Oregon. So he's uh, not. He's doing some summer jobs. Is that go here, ducks? Yeah, that is go and ducks. That's go. right. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot. I mean, it's seven in the next generation. So uh, our generation is only three because my um, uncles, my dad, Angelo, had a, his siblings, uh, sibling Bob, who passed away in '06, and then he's um, he has uh, a brother Buck, who's still. 87 still comes to the office every day and our aunt um is wow. 89 and she lives at the family house which is just right up here uh, above the office so with it there's the next generation there's seven i have my sister uh, our sister mia has got a uh, boy and a girl so they're they're both my boys um same age as her kids nine and um, 11 so they're coming it's just more of you know with, I, with family businesses it's talking to other um friends and stuff it's it's just you can't force it, right? You just they yeah. got to choose it, and you hopefully you kind of lay it in front of them that it's something that, you know, that that, that interests them and they have the passion passion to right. do it. So, but on the wine thing, you can we on this uh, our website you can sign up for the mailing list. We do still have some Sonoma Coast uh, Chardonnay Pinot Noir. We'd happy to, um, you know, serve your <laughs> listeners out there. So it's Wines dot com. Right. Just uh, Wines dot com, and then just sign up for the. The mailing list, and um, you'll get an offer of these two wines here, and then and you'll be ready for the fall release, um, which is coming up, which is the, like I mentioned, the Green Acre Chardonnay and then the V Maria Pinot Noir. Whoever did your website did a great job, beautifully done. Photographs are uh, easy to get around. So it's at San Giacomo Wine. It's spelled S A N G I A C O M O. Not a friend in. Uh, Chicago with an old line Italian restaurant called the Como Inn. Okay. So yeah, I'm very familiar with that that hole. And and your brother-in-law, who is a uh, avid photographer, uh, does a lot of the really? social media photos, right? For yeah, you guys? Mike Pucci, who he works for us. He's um, he works day to day with us, but he's a photographer by by hobby by right. trade. So no, he's fabulous. We're all those beautiful sites, uh, pictures on their websites and our social media, all his. His artwork nicely done, honest to God, nicely done. Well, this Meg- Megan and her and uh, we had a local. We, and we went local with our our web. Um, from Sonoma, what the uh, what's Blaine? Blaine, he was great. He was really great to work with and did a great job. Well, it, it helps because people are going to go here. They're going to find out about artisan winemaking and honest farming and the history of the family and why they want to buy the wines everybody has to craft a story and and you have one yeah i mean you don't have to make it up it's not some bs but um very well done and and people should go to sangiacomo.com and order wine yeah so. we're, we're fortunate i mean we've had you know as we got this project came um was launched we, had, we were telling a lot of our winery partners and a lot of them are through i mean there are a lot of them it was about time and and they view it we do have 30 vineyard designates out there and so they view it as 
co-marketing. The more names out there, more successful Absolutely. it help, helps them sell their Absolutely. wine. And so they're um, when you know we wouldn't be there here without them with all their you know work that they put in the marketplace of you know developing our selling our vineyard designates and a couple of them joked these like we've already done the hard work for you now <laughs> right we got your foot in the door <laughs> and you know and you know they're looking at your pricing going they're charging what <laughs> you know now's the time when i kind of try and tie up a little bit and then brian goes oh no no well, no yeah, no and on that note so um, this last wine that we're going to pass around here is from uh, from Joel Peterson. Oh, the the, the um, one I was bogarting his, down his, here. Yeah, his uh, new um, project called Once in Future. <laughs> and um, a little plug for our friend Todd at Sonoma's Best. He sent us over with some nice Sinjaka wines. Thank you, Todd. Um, so appreciate. So what it. I want to know is when um, when Morgan Peterson was hanging around you know, here as a kid trying to be a little winemaker. Did you guys used to beat him up or anything? Did you, <laughs> did you even really notice that he was around? Oh, um, we're, we're just curious because we Sorry, had him on the buddy. show and he told the story of, you know, coming and getting his grapes and stuff here when he, when he was so young. And so I'm just wondering if you guys ever like, you know, you see use him a punching bag or something. No, we had lots of good. No, we didn't do that. We have lots of good stories about Morgan, though. So, but no, the I mean, he used to. He got a, I think, a half a ton or one box of Pinot Noir, which I'm sure he told you. And um, and so he used to always um, get at that time. He was what, probably six or something. But he'd he'd come in our old office. There's a counter, which is probably about you know five feet or four and a half. And so he'd swing the door open. And he couldn't eat, he couldn't even uh, see over the counter, and so he'd go to the front office reception, and he was a little precocious at that age, if you could imagine. I have a, I have Morgan? a yes, and no. so I, I have a meeting here with Angelo that at <laughs> one one o'clock. I have a meeting, <laughs> and so he'd go in there, and he'd uh, my dad would bring him in his office, and they'd go over the whole where he's getting the fruit, he wanted to know where and stuff. So then. Um, and then the best is when I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll say it. Um, Bob's gone, so he can. So Bob used to deliver it to Ravenswood, and um, or Buck, Bob or Buck, one of. And it was right when he was driving up with it, all the whole staff would put their head down, like, uh oh, because when his Pinot Noir came, the whole winery stopped. So it was like they'd have boxes of Zinfandel, boxes like his Pinot Noir came, everything stopped, and they had to. Get, get to business working it. And he, told, I think he, what, who was it that told Bob? He said, when are you guys going to stop doing this? <laughs> so we got about 50 tons of Zinfandel to crush. <laughs> That's a great you know, story, it, man. It's, it really it's, is. At every winery, it's like during harvest and there's a marketing, you know, video shoot or something. It's like, you know, really, guys, we, we got work to do. Well, and now's when it gets busy. You know, I mean, we are just heading into the busiest time of the year, although it's certainly not the only busy time of the year. You know, you've, you, you guys are busy all year round. It, it is. I mean, it, it seems that way. It seems like the winter used to be a little slowdown time, and now that, you know, there's always something to do. But th this is kind of, every everything in viticulture is crucial. But, um, you know, that we talked about before, the timing of the picks is is the most crucial decision a winemaker can make. So you know, we're gearing up and getting anything do you always ring. pick at 3 a.m.? We start, yeah, we start. And not every grape is picked at 3 a.m., but uh, sometimes we start sooner. I mean, the other night we started at 1, depending on uh, what time the fruit has to be at the winery. But, yeah, no, I'm, I would say, I'm not going to guess, but 80% of the fruit we pick is picked uh, in the dark. And then, obviously, in the morning we'll 
some busy, busy days. We'll pick in. That's right. We're usually yeah. done by 10, 30, 11. I mean, sometimes a lot, a lot of times before 9 o'clock. But, um, and, and, and so how many tons, what is a big day of picking for you guys? Well, um, you know, we can pick up to a couple hundred tons. You know, not um, not all of it by hand. Some of it a little bit okay. machined. But and I was going to say, and are you doing any mechanical tons. harvesting? We're starting to, yeah. yeah. It's not not half yet. I mean, it's a third in, in that ballpark range. But, uh, you know, the equipment has gotten better and the right. technology's gotten right. better. It's, supposed to be, and it's the, really quite amazing what the quality is now from what I understand. It is. I mean, it just comes off uh, cleaner. You know, we're using the Polonc harvesters with the selective picked heads and you're really getting just berries and juice. And, you know, if you're... Picking at night when it's cool and your timing's good with the winery, you know, you're getting it there within under two hours, sometimes within an hour from it being picked. So you're you're really talking about the oxidation and all those other issues of a really the seller guys show up, you know. It <laughs> should be fine. Well, you know? we have wineries actually preferring the machine pick with the plonk yeah. that's really? like that because Seriously. it sh- it has a distemmer because ideally the bunches stay on, the berries come off, but you know, whole bunches will come off. So it has a destemmer actually on the machine. And then it goes over these roller bars where the ro- just the juice and berries go allow the uh, it allows the juice and berries to go directly in the container and then all the other mogs, sticks, leaves, whatever goes off the side. So really when you dump, it's just juice and berries. And so they and, can and trust me, there's winemakers that are going, Yeah, you know, I don't want to pay for those stems anyway. There's that, absolutely. I, I like I think, those stems yeah. in some of my wine. And it's a qual- and it's stems and it's also um, efficiencies, right? Yeah, they didn't go direct to press and then um, you know, it's and then the quality. There's no there's no I mean, not everything. I mean there's still we there's still, you know, high percentage that still want it, you know, for especially for Chardonnay, they want whole clustered press and um, those sort of kind of techniques that you know machine doesn't lend it for, lend itself to. But then the day, I mean, this is kind of what we're with this whole labor situation just getting uh, well, tired. That is huge everywhere yeah. from dishwashers in restaurants yep. uh, right on down to hands in the field. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know obviously every year it gets tighter. So with that, we, I mean, we're trying me- mechanization. We're trying to do is more. I mean, we have machine leafing now that we do, which is really so. Can it be management by machine? Huh? Yeah, the, interesting. That, the leafing is still uh, just, the, or the wire lifting and tucking. Obviously, that's still that has to be done by hand, and that's really labor intensive. And that's one that there's a couple machines out there you can lift with, and it's okay, but it's still you know at the end of the day you wonder how much you're you're saving with kind of some of the um, kind of things you have to do to prep for it. Um, so, but you know, leafing's becoming a, um, you know, the leafers out there getting the technology is really advanced. So where they've done, they're doing a phenomenal job. It's going to be interesting when they can take a look at, um, the cluster of grapes and make sure it's hanging with integrity in dappled sunlight. Right. And yeah. according to Sam, Sam and Phil Katuri, that's the way they want it. So, it's someday it'll the, with the the Google will come up with it or something or test. I mean, it's <laughs> well, yeah. like the drive the drive the drive drivable cars coming right. Do you so. use any drones to take a look at your vineyards from the top? Yeah, we have a we have our own drone that actually Mike Pucci, brother-in-law, does a lot of that. So actually, that helps us just from a just vine health standpoint in terms of. I mean, there's tons of irrigation technologies out there just from. That really tell the measure the stress level, but now with drones you can really see. That's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, the I mean, my dad jokes with us. You guys have it easy because they used to have to guess how much vines need. Now we have <laughs> instruments that tell us what they need. I've I've heard that they're really testing that system of health of the vine or health of the tree with olives, and so they're using 
drones and they can go out and they can actually say, this is a healthy tree. This one's not. And that's what I mean that with us, there's nothing visual is still imperative in a lot of ways in terms of just from a health standpoint. So if we can really get that snapshot from above and, you know, we do NDVIs where you from up, up way up above that tell the measures, the infrared, but right. just from a low level, just, you know, snapshot, it's invaluable in terms of just from a decision making standpoint. Well, there's nothing better than just being out in the vineyard on a regular basis, right? Isn't that what they say? That's, no, I mean, that, that's that's that would be the only thing your, your father would probably say, right? Just get your butt out there. <laughs> boots in the field, maybe. Yeah. So but John, it is getting harder as, with this new, new age farming of just all the regulation, right? That's. Um, uh, you know the Munsell family. Do you know Brett Munsell? They're they're a family in Hillsburg, and he's a friend. But he always said his you know he took over for his his dad and his grandfathers and stuff. So his grandfather come you know he's doing all the paperwork right that comes with running the business. And he came in one day and said you know just read Brett the Riot Act. You're spending too much time in this office, and you need to get out in the vineyard and stuff. Which is true. But at the end of the day, he's like, well, Grandpa, you want to do this work? You here here's a pen. Get right. it done. <laughs> So John, I think I think if um, if if people want to come try your wines, can they just stop by where we are right now, or is this by appointment only? It'll be by appointment only, and okay. so that'll we're going to do a, you will do a press release coming up here. Hopefully, it's soon. But we're again, like I said, we're still waiting kind of for the final uh, permits, and then uh, but they can go to the website and sign up for the mailing list, and um, we'll be sending out you know notices of, of course to them when it opens, and then. Um, you know, with this, you know, still we still have a small amount of wine left, you know, available. Yeah. So yeah, you, well, you can take our word for it. The uh, the wines are great, <laughs> so uh, don't worry if you can't stop by. You feel free to purchase the wines. And can I get a, a little shout out to um, uh, Raj who does the uh, Oceans Churning, churning uh, yes. Chardonnay, which is one of my personal favorites off the off the property. Uh, if you haven't had that before, just Google Oceans Churning Chardonnay. Um, and go to his site. Very interesting cat. Yeah, I love Raj. He's, a, he's uh, you know, again, it's the, the different style, right? I mean, he's, he's yeah. found a style that's, you know, that he, he's passionate about, right? Yeah. And that's, um, and, you know, and you guys carry it at the we restaurant? We do, we do. And I, and I love that it's very different from a lot of the other stuff that we get off the property. So it's, it's nice to have a little um, counterpoint. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, good. All right. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much. Incredibly interesting interview. Uh, you guys have so much family history. And and believe me, the view from here is absolutely stunning. I don't want, John, I don't want to leave. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sitting at this table. If I can just set the scene, I'm sitting at a table. I'm looking out these, these, all these French doors with glass. And yeah, I'm looking on beautiful. these beautiful vineyards. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny, but it's not too hot. You got the wind blowing a little bit. And I'm just looking at this beautiful fruit out in front of me. I got about four or five bottles of wine on the table, um, which is low for us. Actually, well, <laughs> I mean, we I, I I think we normally normally end up with about eleven or. And that was the design when we designed this. Our architect uh, Henry Wicks from Wicks Architecture did a fabulous job of just kind of creating this moment back here. So it's. Yeah, you want your, you know, when people come here, they don't want to leave. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you feel it. Yeah, and and you know, and it, it really is interesting because you drive by this, um, drive by the home ranch hundreds of times, and you never have the perspective as you do here up above the vines. It's, it was well done, you guys. Congratulations. Well, thank and good you. Good luck thank this you. harvest, and I hope it's, uh, I hope, I hope it goes uh, wonderful. 
Thank you. We One need lots of time, laughs. guys. <laughs> how do our listeners get your wine? So yeah, go to San, uh, com and then sign up for the mailing list. You got a you got a club. You got a cl- yeah. So. It's, it's more it's it's a mailing list. So you'll get an email. You don't you're not required to buy. You have your selection of wines that you're allocated. So you you can choose to buy or not. So um, so it's you know again we'll. We'll open it up to uh, the Sonoma Coast Chard and Sonoma Coast Pinot, but um, the fall wines are we're really excited for the Green Acres and the V Maria as well. Well, these wines have been spectacular today, and you know I I find myself saying that so much because we talked to so many great people. So, but these are beautiful. Well, thank you. They are guys. You got you 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 can tell the work and the love that's put into making these wines. And thank you. That's beyond. A manufacturer, okay, you know there, and there are manufacturers of wines. Believe me, churning them out, and you guys are doing it right. So, well, thank you. Well, thanks for coming out here. Thanks for oh, taking absolutely. time to come on out here. So. Well, hey everybody, uh, I'm John Myers. Thanks, uh, Brian Casey, Bart Hansen, Mike, and Steve San Giacomo, and Megan. I want to say thank you to me. Thanks, uh, Megan, to to you uh, for helping me uh, get all the stuff in here. Brian's gonna uh, stick around and help you clean up, Megan, just so he doesn't have to leave. <laughs> if there you if go. I can sit here for another hour, I'll do, I'll, I'll do what I gotta do. It's perfect. <laughs> Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to The Winemakers, and we will see you next week. Thanks.